This is the Garden Path Podcast. Hey gardeners, Misty here, and I'm recording to you about 24 to 36 hours away from landfall of Hurricane Laura, and I feel a little bit better this evening. Uh, Some of the forecasts that is not going to impact Houston as much as we thought a couple days ago. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be pretty bad for the Texas-Louisiana border, for Beaumont, Port Arthur, Lake Charles, uh, Cameron, Louisiana, Sabine Pass. Uh, Those are going to be pretty, pretty bad (laughs) areas here in the next few days which uh, it's pretty devastating. They've gone through a lot over there. There's been a couple of different hurricanes that have hit that, that area in the last 15 years. There's also been a lot of flooding. They, had a, they, were, they were also hit pretty hard by Harvey. I feel like the coverage didn't get uh, Harvey for them too much compared to Houston and you know Rockport and that area, but they, they had dealt with a lot of flooding it's it's going to be pretty much a doozy. The, the you know the cone of doom still goes from Galveston Bay east to into Louisiana. So, you know, any wobbles, any changes uh, and you know, Houston could still be uh, hit. And so we've been spending the last few days kind of preparing because we didn't know where it was going to go, getting the yard ready, the garden, uh, the house kind of keeping up on top of chores, running extra loads of laundry things like that, things you do for a hurricane. I've gone through a couple. Um, It's been a while since I've done anything uh, in Houston for a hurricane. Harvey was a little bit of a different story because it just, it brought so much rain and less on the wind side. So it's been a little bit of a nerve wracking, almost, I guess, week actually, because it was first Marco was going to be the impact. And then, and then Laura was going to go, originally was going to go to Florida and things changed and here we are. Now Laura swung all the way over here and hopefully, hopefully we remain unscathed and, uh, but it won't be, it won't be that for everybody. So I kind of feel bad when I say that, whew, we're going to escape it. But when I know that other people aren't going to escape it, including people I know on the internet and people I know in real life that live in that area, it's not going to be good. So if you happen to live in the area, definitely be thinking of you. I hope, I hope for the best. I hope that, um, yeah, I, that's about all I can do is, is really just hope for the best for you guys. So to switch tracks off of hurricane talk now, I want to talk about field guides. And <laughs> as I was looking on my bookshelves, I have tons of field guides for all sorts of different things. And I, try, I made myself narrow some things down here because I could have gone a little bit crazy. So field guides are going to be very region specific. So wherever you live, you're going to want to look for something for you. So if I'm talking about Texas or the Southeast, there's going to be an analog for you some somewhere, some author, some publishing house. And a lot of these same publishing houses are going to have a similar series. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. So um, don't don't, don't stress if you're sad that I'm talking about something in Texas, there's probably something very similar for you if you're living in California or Maine or Wisconsin or or wherever like that. But if you're in Texas or the Southeast, you may want to keep your ears open for this. And, and hopefully you stay listening if you don't live in this area. 
because I love a good field guide. I think field guides are very helpful and interesting. Even if you aren't, uh, you know, actively identifying anything, they're very helpful just to flip through and just familiarize yourself because a lot of times after you see things over and over, you may be out on a hike or you see something in your garden. You're like, I have seen that before. You can easily refer to it later. Also, it helps for especially insects, I think, uh, it particularly like caterpillars and butterflies, which is kind of what I'm more interested in right now. You learn patterns and families. So uh, you, you get used to seeing how things fit. So you're able to kind of narrow things down better when you're out seeing it out in the field. So I've kind of grouped them all <laughs> by category and I'm going to, I'll do my, my favorites kind of first. Um, I guess one field guy that kind of got really kicked me off into butterflies was the butterflies through binoculars series. And I have one for, for Florida and I think they have one for the East and one for the West, but the one for Florida is very helpful. You know, it has a lot of great pictures even has pictures of females and males in the butterflies. So <laughs> when you're looking at one, you can, you can tell and even, and even though I have this Florida book, many of these butterflies occur all over the Southeastern and even further away than that. So, uh, but because it is Florida and South Florida has a lot of very interesting, uh, more tropical species that you would find in the Caribbean or other areas in uh, Central America, some even South America there. That's why there's kind of a separate book, but this is kind of a book that really kickstarted me into butterflies. I use it a lot and it was very helpful. Um, if you're looking for something beginnerish, that's one I would look at. Oh, another beginner one to look at is, uh, the brood watchers digest butterflies backyard guide by Aaron Gettler. Aaron has been a guest on the podcast twice, and this is a great book too. It's pretty general specific for the whole U S I recall that she tried to cover, uh, you know, the more, I guess, popular species that would occur in greater areas throughout the country. So you'll be able to uh, find a lot, a lot of, a lot of butterflies in this. It's a pretty thin book. This is more for, you know, you know, a quick reference guide, but it talks about how do you identify them? Where do you find them? How do you attract them? Their life cycle? great photography in it. I definitely recommend it picking up uh, one of these if you just want something easy and handy for a backyard guide or maybe for your kid uh, just learning uh, butterflies. A uh, couple other more I guess uh, books with some tooth to them are uh, the first one is the Kaufman Field Guide to Butterflies in North America and I refer to this one quite frequently as well. And it has all the butterflies by, you know, their families, which, like I said, even just flipping through them, you get to understand, you know, how families and butterflies are grouped. So when you're out just looking, oh, that's a sulfur. Oh, those are the brush footed or that's a metal mark or it's a blue. And you can easily go, oh, okay, that was a blue let me flip to the blues and see if I can figure out maybe which one it is. And Oh, it's a Cassius blue or an Eastern pygmy blue or, or something like that. It helps you. Uh, it really helps you just familiarize yourself, just flipping through and reading them, even if you're not using it. But I really, I do refer to this book quite frequently. Um, 
when I'm not using iNaturalist sometimes. Uh, especially like the dusky wings, those are, uh, get frustrating. The skippers as well. Um, a lot of times if I take a picture and I just get it out of my camera and look at the back of it, um, flip to the page of where the skippers are. Oh, that's the skipper. And it has, you know, the ranges where, where they should live year round. A lot of butterflies are migratory or they have, um, you know, certain winter ranges or summer ranges that's on here in a map. And they do typically, not for every one of them, but they, for most of them, they'll have a, you know, male or female representation on there. They're not, I believe they're drawings, not photographs, but they're very well done drawings. They look almost like a photograph. I highly recommend that field guide if you are into butterflies. Now, another one I just got in the last couple of years is part of the Princeton field guides. It's a caterpillars of Eastern North America. And I really love this as well. It has helped me quite a bit. Again, there are so many caterpillars, um, especially for moths, <laughs> that you're not going to find every caterpillar in here, but it's a good uh, guide to finding a lot of them. And again, it's, it's finding those patterns, looking at um, looking at them by family, like, you know, these are the hornworms or these are the sphinx moths, uh, the different, uh, loopers, things like that. Great pictures. They have, um, a picture of the caterpillar and a picture of the adult talks about, you know, how to recognize them, their occurrences, their food plants, which is helpful too, because if you see something on a uh, food plant and maybe it's not listed there and you, Maybe you're leaning towards like this, this caterpillar could be this, but the food plant that it was on doesn't make sense. You know, that could be a way to eliminate that species. And then any other, you know, interesting remarks. I, I, I really love this book. It's pretty thick. It has been very helpful. I've even just, you know, used the index. I mean, like I saw a caterpillar on, you know, a hackberry and I will go through and <laughs> look through all the different hackberry references and see if I can find it that way. I've really enjoyed it. Now, another big one is Peterson's Field Guide to Moss by Seabrook Lucky and David Beetle. Moths are a pain. <laughs> I haven't quite grasped uh, moth identification yet. I'm still, you know, I'm pretty good at, you know, narrowing down to families, but some of the, you know, geometer moths just kind of baffle me a lot of times. They just, you know, they're gray and they have got lines on them and little spots and you're, you get confused sometimes, but I definitely recommend having this one. I would like to be better about identifying moths and really probably just need to spend more time outside at night with a black light and attracting some moths and, uh, to be, be able to identify them. But it has, you know, ranges of them as well. And, you know, short descriptions It's not, they're not nearly as, uh, detailed because there are so many moths in this book, but it, it does talk about host plants very briefly. So that is my Lepidoptera section for you guys. We're going to switch over to flowers and plants here. So a book I got when I first moved back to Texas was called Wildflowers of Texas by Gaeta Ajilski. And I use this thing all the time. A field in the field all the time on a project in East Texas. It was 
extremely helpful. And I think some of the taxonomy is slightly old now, but it is very helpful uh, for, for, for use in Texas, I would say. You've got, it, oh, it's also color coded. So <laughs> you can easily flip through, okay, I've got a yellow flower and flip all the yellow flower pages. Uh, that is one aspect of this as a field guide. And it has a great uh, index as well that you know I refer to quite often. So if I'm like, I see a lobelia, what kind of lobelia is? I'm gonna flip through the different lobelias. I, I use this book quite frequently when uh, I'm in the field or camping. Another book that I also use a lot uh, is Forest Plants of Southeast Texas and Their Wildlife Uses. Uh, it's by James Miller and Carl Miller. It's from the University of Georgia Press. And because it's for the Southeast, that's going to be, you know, Southeastern U.S. But it is, you know, it's a lot of forest plants, which <laughs> if you're out in, you know, the piney woods or if you're out in a, you know, hardwood area, this is a great book. It's by, you know, separated by forbs and grasses, shrubs, woody vines, palms, yuccas, shrubs. So like the shrubs. Uh, the different ilexes you can run into talks, you know, how it's going to look, the stem, the leaves, the flowers, fruit and seeds, its range, ecology, and any synonyms. Lots of great pictures. I actually, this book has gotten a lot of use and it's just fun. I actually just like to flip through and read about it sometimes. It's, uh, it's pretty. I like that one. Another book for East Texas is uh, The Flowers of the Big Thicket, also by uh, Gaetala Jilski. And it's also a little bit old on some of the taxonomy because, let's see, when was it printed? This is from Texas A&M University Press. Okay, yeah, this was originally printed in 1979. I don't know if it's been reprinted at all. But even if some of the taxonomy has changed, I mean, the f there's actually, like, great pictures in here. And which for a book published in 1979, it's kind of surprising. Oh, and also, this is also something else I liked about this book. It has plant associations for East Texas. So, and a photo of these plant associations, which I think if you're becoming a naturalist and an ecologist and wanting to learn more about how plants interact, seeing them in their communities and how they all grow together is something to understand. And, you know, sometimes with field guides or you're studying plants, you don't necessarily understand how they are in overall in the landscape. Um, you know, understanding that something that's going to occur in a uh, Tupelo swamp isn't going to be occurring in a, you know, sandy upland <laughs> down the way. So I do appreciate that for this book. So, you know, mixed grass prairies, palmetto oak flats, longleaf black gum savannas. And she has these just cool pictures of the different kind of habitats you would find um, ooh, beach of magnolia loblolly slopes. Those are really fun. I love those. And, you know, great descriptions within, uh, af you know, after the photos of all of the plants and, you know, to give you a little bit more description. And it tells you also where you, which of those habitats I just talked to you about, where you could find them. So if you're want to be more specialized in East Texas, I think this is a good book to have. Also Western Louisiana.
And another wildflower book for Texas is Michael Eason's recent book, Wildflowers of Texas. He was also on the podcast. You can hear him talk about how he put it together. I also really love this book. Um, it is also organized by color, so that helps out when you've got a, a white flower and you want to flip through that. But this is also great photos. And he, it covers, he does a really pretty good job of covering the whole state and flowers that are going to occur everywhere. I feel like it may lean more towards central and east Texas, but uh, there's plenty of stuff you're going to find out in west Texas in here as well. I definitely recommend it. And that's by Timber Press. And so I'm going to mention another book that we picked up called Wildflowers of the Atlantic Southeast. That says Laura Cotterman, Damon Waite, and Alan Weekly. And uh, it's also set up very similarly. So and some of these plants definitely have some overlap here in Texas, but uh, there's definitely some stuff that's not. But uh, my husband goes uh, to Mississippi, Louisiana, and, and sometimes Alabama and stuff for projects. So many of these plants end up uh, in some of his projects. It's very helpful. And I believe I saw Timber Press has a plants of the Northwest. So I would check their website to see if there is a field guide for your area that they have put out. And if not, maybe they're working on one. Okay, now we're going to kind of go into some different plants. Let's, I'm going to talk about, we're going to deviate from plants for just a moment and talk about a Texas mushroom book by Susan Metzler and Van Metzler. And I haven't referred to this as much as I had, did when I originally bought this because I've mostly been relying on iNaturalist, but I should probably flip this more often so I get better at identifying uh, the different genuses and families and types of, of mushrooms there are out there. But this is a good book because they also talk about which ones are edible and not edible and which ones are toxic and which ones you use caution on. Uh, and edibility, you know, if it's edible or not, um, or if it's unknown, but it's also, it's, I think it's a really good, pretty good overall book on the most common mushrooms you can find in Texas. And I'm sure, you know, maybe, maybe you're in the Pacific Northwest, you're probably gonna have a lot better of a mushroom book than uh, we do in Texas. So a couple just, uh, more focused field books that would probably be more for people who are really nerdy. <laughs> this one's Rare Plants of Texas. It's also from the, it's A&M uh, Nature Guys series. And these are all the rare plants, you know, in Texas and heads from out west to, to out east has really great, you know, illustrations in here of, you know, their habit descriptions, their global and state uh, statuses, federal statuses on, you know, how endangered they are and has their counties. It's not going to tell you where to go find them, but if you want to trope out to, you know, the big bend and look on some cliffside for some tiny little grass, you could do that. Or at least it gives you an idea of where you could go looking for that. Um, it's just a cool book because, you know, you may never come into contact with some of this stuff. But just knowing how uh, special some of these plants are is really just kind of cool. I recommend it's just a book to have to flip through and, and just see what's really kind of interesting. So I have this book from college called A Field Guide to Texas Trees by Benny Simpson. 
I don't know if it's still in print or not, but I think there's another Texas book out there at least, uh, for trees. And this is a book. I actually don't refer to this very often, but it talks about the most common trees in Texas and has counties that they live in, but also has a pretty good set of photos, especially a lot of the oaks, which, you know, in Texas, there's a lot of oaks that can get, uh, confusing at times. And then of course, a lot of those oaks hybridize. So those get even more confusing. Uh, I definitely recommend, uh, having a Texas tree book or a tree book in general for wherever you live. Uh, this is just one I have. And another book that I actually use pretty frequently that is also kind of on the nerdy side and more freak, uh, more uh, of a niche is the aquatic and wetland plants of the Western Gulf Coast. This is another book from college. So it's, and it's actually all in black and white. And, uh, but it's, I, their drawings are actually extremely good. I've used their drawings to actually help uh, figure out some plants in the past. Um, I, it talks about habitat, wildlife values, propagation management, similar species. You know, I, time and time again, I have used this book in the past. I do know some of the taxonomy is outdated because I have looked some stuff up and like, oh, you've changed, um, which is frustrating when you've learned something <laughs> after so many years. But if you want to be really nerdy, I do recommend, this is definitely a book. If you're a, if you're a field person and you're an ecologist and you're doing any kind of biological stuff in Texas or, uh, Louisiana and wetlands, that is a book to have. And I've got three more books that are really niche. <laughs> Not too many people are into grasses, right? I have Grasses of the Texas Gulf Prairies and Marsh Marshes. Uh, it's from Texas A&M University Press. This is also a book from college. These are drawings. And actually there is, this is a, this is definitely more technical. It's got a key in here, which is what you need for grasses. Uh, a lot of the time keys in here talking drawings, talking about, you know, exactly where you can find some of the stuff. Definitely a book for the more nerdier folks. <laughs> this one might be more of a gardener speed. The grasses of the Texas Hill Country, also an A&M Nature Guide series. And these are color photographs, features, has, you know, economic value, other uses, habit, uh, growing season, really decent photos. So Hill Country and probably I would suspect into the Black Blackland Prairie and you know anywhere in the central Texas range. This is gonna be very beneficial. And another one is the Field Guide to Common Texas Grasses. This also looks like it's probably more of a gardener speed than a nerdy science person, but um this house has photos, counties it's gonna be found in. The photos are actually pretty good and uh drawings to help you identify grasses. I don't use that too much because I'm not a grass person, but if I'm in the field for work and I need to key something out, that would be what something I would use. Uh, my husband has used that quite a bit and he actually uses it more than I, because I go, I don't go to the field as much as he does. So that is my little roundup of useful books. I actually have several other books that I didn't include. We have, um, some orchid books and some bat books. And I actually want to get a dragonfly book because I think that would be very helpful. We have a healthy population of dragonflies. I would just, I want to be better about insects in general. And 
those kind of where I'm going with my interests, not grasses so much. <laughs> um, but having field guides on hand, even if they're just something basic, I think is very important for gardeners and just nature enthusiasts in general to get better at learning. Oh, my birder friends are probably like, where are the bird books? We have bird books as well. I'm just not a birder, so I don't really think about adding birding books. But if you're into birds, definitely consider having a bird book uh, in your collection as well. You know, pick something you're interested in. Look it up on, you know, that big, uh, big box store on the internet. <laughs> or better yet, go to the publisher and see if they got it. Or even the author. They may have it on their website too. And, you know, support them that way if, if they've put together something you know, special on the side. Well, that's it. I am kind of, uh, talked out. This is one of my longest solo episodes I've done recently and, uh, kind of tired of hearing my own voice. <laughs> so I'm going to put all of this information on the show notes for the podcast. So if you did not catch anything that I just talked about, you'll be able to click a link and find out what books I was talking about. And I will probably put a list of some of the other ones I have, up as well that I did not talk about just so if you're curious and want to check those out as well. If you guys have any questions or want to refer me to any field guides that I should have, you can email me the garden path podcast at gmail.com. Oh, I did want to say I have been putting several YouTube videos up recently. Uh, a couple great little things. I'm trying to keep them short, easy to manage, very simple. Uh, so do go check those out there. It's been fun to kind of put them together. They're, like I said, they're very simple. It's just nature-y stuff that I've been putting out there. And on Instagram at the Garden Path Podcast. Well, okay. Hopefully this hurricane is not a big problem for Houston. Feeling really bad about Southeast Texas and Southwestern Louisiana. And uh, hope you guys all keep them in your thoughts. I know there's a lot going on all over the world with, you know, with wildfires from Colorado to California and who knows what else is out there. Um, it's been rough. So we've all got something, um, but maybe just take a few minutes to appreciate a little bit of nature when you can till next time.